on my heart lately, and I've called it truth for a troubling time, and I don't know about you, but it sure seems like to me that um, we as a country are headed in the wrong direction. And that's not a political statement. That is a spiritual statement. And if we focus on that, we seem to lose some hope. But there's something more troubling to me than the fact that it seems like our country is headed in the wrong direction. And that is it seems to me that the church is headed in the wrong direction. That too many of us who call ourselves Christians are living lives that are far removed from the truth of God's word and from what God wants us to be doing. You may have heard me say this before. There's probably a lot that I'm going to say this morning that you've heard me say before, but it's, I'm just going to be preaching to you from my heart this morning, and it's going to be a little different sermon than what you're used to with me, because usually we get into a passage and we dive deep into that particular passage. That's not what we're doing this morning. When you think about the Word of God, and you think about what is going on in America today. And I, I really want us to zero in, not on what's going on in Washington, D.C., or what's going on in Hollywood, or New York, or Disney. I want us to zero in on what's going on in the church. Because the church is what's going to make the difference if there is a difference made. And when we think about that, it's easy for us to think of certain preachers that get a lot more attention than they should, and it's easy for us to think of certain denominations that are moving further and further from the truth of the Word of God, but when God speaks to us, He needs to speak to us. The Holy Spirit doesn't show us the wrongdoing of other people so that we can feel superior to them. The Holy Spirit shows us our wrongdoing, our need for Him. This morning, there are two books in the Bible in the Old Testament that I think are very relevant to America today. One is the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, you see Daniel and you see the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But those are the main ones that we focus in on the first seven chapters of Daniel. And the focus is on the fact that they are trying to be Christians in a world that is opposed to their faith. I say Christians, they're trying to be, that's our application from there. Now, they're in captivity. They're in a pagan land. 
Friends, we are not living in a Christian land. We want to be, but we are living in a land that is much like what Daniel faced when he was dealing with kings, whether he was a young teenager or in his 80s. He was dealing with kings that were opposed to the God that he knew, kings who were opposed to the truth of God's word. And the other book that I believe is so relevant to us today is the book of Judges. The book of Judges. If I, gave, if I had to give you a summary of the book of Judges in about two minutes, it would be this. The people of God are in the promised land. The people of God did not do what God said. So they, are, they occupied the land as God told Moses and Joshua, but they were in the promised land, but, you know, I can't do anything in two minutes. They, they are in the promised land, but what is their problem? The promised land was supposed to be a place of peace and a place of rest. But then we see them go through these cycles where they sin. And when they sin, God raises up another army, another nation, another king to lord over them and to oppress them, right? And then the people cry out. And when they cry out, God raises up a judge that word really means deliverer or savior. And that judge wins the victory and they're relieved from the oppression of that enemy nation. And then the people have rest. The people have peace. The people have security for a period of time. That lasts through several cycles of that in the book of Judges. And at the very end, we see... There aren't judges being raised up anymore. We see a civil war. We see a lot of problems. But what was the problem that led to the struggles of God's people in what was supposed to be the promised land? It was this simple truth. They did not drive out the enemy nations. The people that were occupying the promised land when they went into that land had been allowed to stay there. And so the Israelites were in the right place. We in America are in a place which, at least for a little while longer, we have more freedom than Christians do in just about any other place. I would challenge you to look around the world and find a place where Christians have more freedoms than they do in America. Now, that's changing. It's changing. And for most of us, we're going to see major changes in our lifetimes. We are going to see Christians having to stand up for their faith in a way that costs them. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I know it's going to happen. But there's one verse 
in the book of Judges that I believe is absolutely on point for what the problem was in the book of Judges. It's really the key verse in the book of Judges, and it is absolutely 100% on point for what is going on in the church today. That's the very last verse in the book of Judges. Judges chapter 22, verse 25. Judges 22, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Every person did what was right in their own eyes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're in control, that no matter what we see on the news, that no matter what we read in a paper, that no matter what we see on social media or what we hear from friends, that there is never a time that you aren't in control. We thank you that you're never at a loss for what to do. Father, I thank you that every single day you know what's going to take place in our lives. You know the challenges we're going to face. You know the struggles that we're going to have. You know the temptations that we're going to face. And Father, you have a plan. Help us to seek your plan every day. Lord, you knew well before 8 o'clock this morning that this is the message that was going to be preached today. And Father, we know that in your perfect plan, you have a way to apply the truth of your word to every one of us in just the individual, unique, special way that we need in our lives right now. Lord, I thank you so much for each person who is here. And I ask you to look into their hearts. I ask you, Father, to see their needs and to meet their needs. But most of all, Father, I ask that every one of us, from the pulpit to the pew, would hear what you want to say to us this morning. We open up our lives to you, our hearts, our minds. We ask you, Father, see us fully and completely. Show us what you see. Show us what you want us to be. And help us to obey you. Give us ears now to hear, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, as we think about truths for a troubling time, I want to say that first we see, and I'm going to give you a different scripture for each one of these points, but we see in Ruth, I'm sorry, got Ruth looking straight up at me. In Judges 22, I'm sorry, 21 verse 25, our standard, 
It's not what it's supposed to be, but it's the standard that we have in America today. Now, it seems a little strange that throughout the book of Judges, it references the fact that there was no king in Israel. And I always thought that was a good thing because I knew that the Bible said that they wanted a king because they wanted to be like the other nations and they did not want to... um, They didn't want to do it God's way. They didn't want God to be their king. And I believe the reason it's emphasized here, though, is the fact there wasn't anyone in charge. There were times when a judge would be raised up, but essentially the people were without a leader. Why? Not because God didn't provide a leader, but because the people weren't listening to God. We could say there is no king in America, and that would be true, right? But dear friends, that's the problem. The problem is that for too many of us in the church, we live lives as though there is no king in the church and there is a king of kings and a lord of lords. There is a God who is on his throne. There is a God who is in control. There is a God who deserves our honor, our praise, our worship, our glory. We must have a king. When you made decisions this past week, And I'm not talking about what you were going to have for lunch yesterday. But when you made important decisions, some of you are thinking, I don't make important decisions. That's why I have a wife. But when you made important decisions this past week, what was your standard? Was there a king in charge? But that second part of that verse, verse 25, is what is so important for us. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say every man did wrong. It doesn't say every man did evil. But it's saying we are each deciding for ourselves what is right. What we want to be right. I could preach for hours, I know you know that, but I could, I could preach for hours with example after example from the book of Judges showing us just how true that statement is. And what it really boils down to is a matter of pride. It all comes down to us believing we know what is best, we know what is right, God, you know a lot about my daughter, but I think I know my daughter better than you do. God, I really want to depend on you when it comes to work, but I'm not sure you really have a good plan for this boss that I have to deal with. God, I know that you are the master accountant, and you know 
what needs to happen financially, and you've got a great plan for me, but I'm not quite ready for your plan yet. I need to get things organized a little bit better, and then I can follow your plan. You see, all throughout the book of Judges, most of the time when we see the problems that the people of God are having, it's not because they decide we want to be totally opposed to our God. It's because they are taking compromise after compromise after compromise. They're deciding which part of God's teaching they want to follow. We can't tear out any part of God's word. You know, there's a lot of people in the church that's just too sensitive. Have you ever noticed somebody like that? They, they can get their feelings hurt really, 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 really easily. Sometimes they get their feelings hurt because of what doesn't happen. Sometimes they get their feelings hurt because of what does happen. Sometimes they get their feelings hurt because of what's said. Sometimes they get their feelings hurt because of what's not said. Sometimes they just get their feelings hurt because they want to get their feelings hurt. But I'm going to tell you something this morning. The problem in the church today is not the number of people who are hypersensitive and get their feelings hurt. The problem in the church today is the number of people who are not sensitive in the areas where they should be sensitive. When we're not sensitive to the voice of God, when we're not sensitive to the Word of God, we're going to, if we're not sensitive to those two things, we are going to do what is right in our own eyes. When we think about decision-making, when we think about making choices, when we think about setting priorities, for most of us, we live in a pretty fast-paced world. There's a lot going on, right? And it becomes like we're in an emergency room and we're doing triage. We're just doing whatever has to be done, whatever's urgent. That's when we need to make sure that the voice we hear more than any other voice is that voice of our Heavenly Father as He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. Do you know God's voice? Do you recognize that sound? Do you listen for it? Do you love it when you hear it? Or do you cringe because you think, my plans are going to have to change? Do we know God's voice? Jesus said that my sheep hear my voice. What about us? As we live in a world with so many distractions, do we hear his voice? Turn to Proverbs chapter 12, verse 14. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 14. I'm using a different Bible this morning, and it's throwing me off a little bit. You know what? 
That's really throwing me off because I did not mean to say chapter 12, verse 14. I guess I'm having a little dyslexia this morning. Chapter 14, verse 12. Remember what we just said. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And then Proverbs chapter 14 Verse 12 says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. If you want a verse that will summarize the book of Judges and what happened during that time period of the book of Judges, it's Proverbs 14, verse 12. Every man does what is right in their own eyes. That was the standard, and that is a standard that gets us in trouble because we see the standard, and then we see the sentence. And I'm talking about a legal sentence, a judgment, a criminal sentence. The end thereof are the ways of death. In the Old Testament, especially in Psalms and Proverbs, when we see a reference to death like that, it's not just talking about a physical death that's going to happen to all of us unless Jesus comes again first. It's talking about not just the physical death, it is talking about also a spiritual death. It is talking about what Jesus referred to in John 3.16 when he said, perish. It is that eternal death. What is hell? Hell is a place where we are continually dying but never able to die because if we were to die, then there would be relief. It is eternal separation, eternal judgment, eternal pain. It's up to us what standard we choose for our lives. But Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says, The ways of the standard of seeing what's right and deciding for ourselves what we want to do leads to death. Don't make a mistake here of thinking that this is just referring to whether or not I'm going to be saved, because it's much more than that. What were the consequences for the nation of Israel. You see, there, were, there was a lot of death among God's people in the book of Judges, but you know what else? Israel wasn't a beacon of godliness. Israel wasn't a shining light. Israel wasn't who God wanted them to be. And as a result of that, there were a lot of battles. There were a lot of wars. There were a lot of people that were killed by the judges, but there were a lot of deaths on both sides from every nation. Friends, the consequences of sin are deadly. And when we say the consequences of sin are deadly, we're not just talking about heaven and hell, although that is absolutely important. That ought to be something that drives us to our knees. 
but the consequences of our disobedience, the consequence of us doing what is right in our own eyes is going to always be something that destroys families, that destroys lives, that destroys churches, that destroys countries, that destroys people over and over and over. It matters what we do. God didn't put us here so that we could just go through motions until it was time to get to heaven and heaven's what's important. No, God put us here because everything that we do as children of God who can hear the voice of God and who have been given the word of God is a matter of life and death. We see our standard. We see our sentence. And then in a verse that I know you've heard me say so many times, it is a verse that I believe is one of the most important verses for us to remember as people of God. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Peter and John are brought before the Sanhedrin in chapter 3. They had healed a man and upset the Jewish leadership. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are told, don't talk to anybody about this Jesus. Just be quiet and we will spare your life. I wonder what the average American Christian would have done at that point. All you have to do is be quiet. And Peter told them they weren't going to be quiet. And the main reason is because of what he says in verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's our salvation. That's the answer to the sentence. The answer is Jesus and Jesus alone. Friends, it matters what we do. It matters what we say. But you know what may matter even more is what we don't do and what we don't say. When we're not praying for the lost, when we're not crying out to God, when we're not crying out to other people, when's the last time Some of y'all are thinking I'm a broken record when it comes to this. When's the last time you watched watch somebody on TV and you thought, that is such a pagan? Happens pretty often, doesn't it? What was your response? Get mad? Get disgusted? But was our response to pray for them? see, sometimes what our prayer needs to be 
is, Lord, have mercy on them. Save them. But you know, there's two kinds. Some of y'all think you know where I'm going when I say there's two kinds of people in the world because there really are only two kinds of people. There are lost people and there are saved people. Those are the only distinctions that matter. But that wasn't where I was going. There are two kinds of people in our world that are lost, that need Christ. And we need to say a different kind of prayer depending on which kind of person they are. The first kind of person is someone that we're going to have an opportunity to share the gospel with. We're going to be able to have an opportunity to be the one that tells them what Jesus has done in our lives and that Jesus is the only hope. To, point, to hold to that truth that our world is rejecting today that there's only one way to heaven. And our prayer needs to be, Lord, put people in my path that need to know Jesus and give me the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. And, and Lord, when you do that, keep the promise of your word because God's promised us that he is going to bring all things to our remembrance. So when we're challenged in our faith, that's going to happen. But pray that God would give you the burden and the boldness that you need. And then the second kind of person is somebody that, unless there's just some amazing divine appointment that happens, you're probably never going to have the opportunity to talk to that person about Jesus. And for those people, our prayer should be, Lord, put someone in their path who is going to have boldness and who's going to have the right words, give them a divine opportunity to share with that person so that they can be saved. That may be somebody that you see on TV. That may be somebody that you, you read about when you're looking at your news thread on your phone. But sometimes it's somebody who's a lot closer to us than that. Sometimes there's that person that we grew up with and they've turned away from the faith. And they're mad at us because we want to talk to them about Jesus. Maybe it's a relative. Maybe it's somebody that we just know they're not going to listen to us. Then our prayer needs to be, Lord, put the right person in their path and let them hear your gospel. Friends, America needs a church that not only proclaims the truth that there is no other way to heaven but through Christ, but whose conduct demonstrates that that's really what we believe. And one more truth. And that's a very simple truth. In Philippians chapter 4, 
Philippians chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. I'm sorry, I should have said six and seven. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We saw our standard that shouldn't, what shouldn't be our standard, and we saw the consequences of that standard when we saw the fact that it leads to death in our sentence. And now, after seeing our salvation and that important reminder, we see our strength. Our strength. Our boldness comes from this strength. Our faithfulness comes from this strength. Our ability to serve comes from this strength. Be careful or be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. That's a complete, full prayer life. A God-centered prayer that's asking God to meet the needs of others, that's thanking God, and that's relying on God for our needs to be met. Verse 7 tells us where the strength really is. The strength comes from God's peace. Because if you're living in God's peace, you're not going to be tempted to do what is right in your own eyes. Because you're not going to want to lose that peace. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall do what? That's the word of, that's a word that means guard. When it says keep, it's saying God is going to guard your heart and your mind. Through Christ Jesus. Why do we do what's right in our own eyes? Because God doesn't have control of our minds. Why do we do what's right in our own eyes? Because God doesn't have control of our hearts. What about you? What needs to be different if we're going to make an impact in our world? What needs to be different if God is going to use us to be the difference in our neighbors going to heaven or going to hell? What needs to be different in our lives if we're not going to wake up 
at 2 o'clock in the morning and just be totally overwhelmed by anxiety. What needs to be different in our lives if we're going to have confidence in our future? What needs to be different in our lives if we're going to be the kind of people that God uses as little sparks to start the revival that the church needs in America today. I don't know the answer for you. But I know that God knows it and that God wants to show it to you. Do you know that you know him? Do you know his voice? Has he saved you? Today is the day. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Today is the day for us to be on our knees proclaiming him as Lord. Let today be a day that makes a difference in your life. Let's stand for prayer. I want you to take a few moments and ask God to speak to your heart. Ask God to show you what needs to be different. we've trusted in our own wisdom where we've done what's right in our own eyes instead of trusting him Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for each person here. I pray, Father, that 
as we leave this place and as we go into a new week, that you would go with us, that you would show us opportunities we have to serve you, that we would be sensitive to your voice, that we would be sensitive to your spirit, that we would be sensitive to your word. Lord, that you would speak to us as only you can in a way that changes our lives. May each day be a day that we draw closer to you than we have ever before. Father, help us to remember how deadly the consequences are when we just go through the motions, when we ignore the truth of what we know, when we ignore your voice, when we ignore the burden that you're placing on us. Use us, Father, to bring revival to our homes, to our church, to our community, to our state, to our nation, to our world. Lord, we want you to be glorified in all we do. May that happen in each one of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.